Hello, everyone, and welcome into the latest episode of the Spy Point Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Marsh. Uh, thrilled this week to be joined by a good friend and industry stalwart, one of my absolute favorite people in the industry, Dan Schmidt, editor, of course, at Deer and Deer Hunting, should be a name that most of you are familiar with. Uh, Dan, pleasure to have you on, especially as we are we are right on the cusp, if not just beyond season starting to open. So deer season is here. The editor of Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine is here. We can't time it out much better than this. How are we, Dan? I'm doing great, Trent. Thanks for having me on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. And especially, we're always talking normally deer hunting, but anything <laughs> anything related is good by me. Sounds good to me, too. So let's just let's just go ahead and dive right into it. Um, how, how are you hearing? What are you hearing about the 2022-2023 deer hunting season? How's it looking to shape up across the country? Any any issues of concern? Any any real bright spots out there? What's it starting to look like? It sounds like it's pretty good, actually. Um, now I'm talking just just a, a ubiquitous look at the, the country. Uh, we came through the summer pretty good. L- last winter really wasn't too bad outside of Northern Minnesota got hit pretty hard, but that's a that's an area that is, I mean, essentially like Canada, where if they get hit, they get hard, and that that happened there. Uh, here in the upper Midwest, Wisconsin, Michigan, um, over by you, Ohio, New York, Pennsylvania, um, all the all, all the other states in the top tier did all right. The southern states, I think, are doing fine. I haven't heard of too many um, EHD outbreaks, although I know there's some. Mm-hmm. Um, they're having some in the West has had a lot of heat and with those fires, but that really doesn't affect the deer too much. Um, they survive it. The one things that I have seen, or a couple of things that I have seen is fawn production has been very good across the country. Uh, and I would say with the exception of probably some of the Western States, they go through some problems, uh, with coyote, pro- with coyote predation and, uh, extreme heat um, that can affect things, but for the most part, I would. I just got back from Wyoming, as you know. Uh, as always, fabulous out there. Very hot, very dry, um, burnt up landscape, but their deer are doing pretty well. So I think, for the most part, I think everybody should be pretty excited um, about what's in store, especially with a lot of the archery seasons either have opened up or on the cusp of opening up here. Great. It's always love to hear that. Same thing. I've 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 seen a few people talk about EHD. Um, the our Indiana State DNR just had a thing. There's only been three counties that even have suspected uh, cases at this point. Only one that's tested positive. Um, kind of just talking to people around the country. I, I'm probably a little bit worried about um, Southwest Missouri. Um, kind of down in that Joplin Springfield area. I know they've been super dry, uh, going to be down there, uh, here before too long. And, and table rock is super low. Tanny Como is at all time lows. Um, and my guess is we're, we've kind of been in that blackout period where people have been out of the woods. So maybe they haven't necessarily seen some of those cases that, that may be there, but Northern Missouri got a lot of rain, but there was, you know, talked to Stephen Fuller a couple episodes ago and, and he's in Northern Arkansas, Southwest Missouri, and um, he's been really dry. So I, I wonder if there's not some lingering EHD news that's going to come out of that part of the country. Uh, But yeah, by and large, you know, here we were we were warm in June and and a little dry, but then it uh, it 
cleared itself up in July and August were great. Farmers were really happy with some of the late rains that we got for corn and soybean production. So um, hopefully that holds true across the country. Good, good. I'm glad you're hearing kind of the same thing that we've been hearing and uh, hopefully we're on our way to, to a good season. Yeah. Yeah. It should be good. I I'm, I'm really looking forward to it myself. That's for sure. So you, you have been editor at deer and deer hunting since when? I've been with the uh, magazine for uh, 28 years. I've been the editor for uh, 21, I believe. So I've been there quite a long time. Just, just um, a little while. Just a little while, probably more than some people watching this. It's been a while. <laughs> Makes me feel old today. <laughs> so in that time, what what do you think you've seen change most with deer hunting? since when you arrived at deer deer hunting to now most okay so our tenants as you know are scout manage hunt and the first two in the time that i've been there the scouting and the managing are there are places that i guess i would have never suspected when i started mm -hmm. uh, back in those days as you know we we relied on you had to go to the library or the courthouse to get aerial photos or topo maps and that's kind of how we did it and now with all these apps and everything, and you can see live aerial photos, people use drones for scouting. That really uh, has changed things enormously. And especially the management side of it, uh, that was just starting, you know, in the 90s. And now with people really, you know, understanding deer, um, understanding deer behavior, understanding how to grow deer, that to me those two things have been the biggest um where you know back in the day we counted deer by we well we counted bucks just merely by points not by inches and now mm -hmm. people are aging pretty good at it and they're also pretty good at understanding how to take small properties and manage them for uh, stuff that we never thought was possible so i would say that probably the scouting and the managing are the two uh, the average person and it's not even average anymore the the hunter has really become the deer manager which um is something that i guess surprises me thinking back on what i've seen over almost three decades of doing this that's that's really i guess i i just I expected more on the management side. I guess I hadn't, I hadn't really thought about the scout, how much the scouting side has really changed, but yeah, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense that the other thing too, and it, they, they kind of go hand in hand, obviously, but taking management forces you to take that 360 day approach to it. You know, I, I even remember growing up that it was, you know, you really didn't worry about deer season until it was deer season and, and really nobody did. And um, now with food plots and timber stand improvement and and just all of the elements that go into it. And even you get onto some of the periphery stuff. I know, obviously, um, you know, we've got you, you have the trapper title as well there with with Media 360 alongside the, the deer hunting one and the number of people that you've seen, even on small properties, get into the, the trapping side of it. Not necessarily because fur prices are great, because they're terrible, but they're just trying to manage manage their ground in a better way and and take some predation uh, pressure off of those fawns and does in the spring by taking some coyotes out in the winter and um, 
yeah, that that 360 degree approach that management makes you take is obviously going to affect how you're scouting because now everything becomes part and parcel of that as well. So I suppose that that it makes sense. It almost seems too obvious to be the truth, but I think that that's probably about right. Oh, I would agree. Yeah, absolutely. So you personally as a hunter, what, what has changed most with you, you know, aside from that kind of the way hunting has changed in general, how have you changed as a hunter in that time? I've changed in the fact that I've, I've kind of seen all sides of it. Um, and you know me very well, Trent, in the fact that I've shot big deer. Um, I still get excited by big deer, but I've stayed true to my roots that way as far as I'm still, I've become, I guess I've become more of a realist and I've become more um, just appreciative of the hunt. And I also, I guess it's just been mixing with I'm literally thousands of people every year that I see both sides of almost every story. I see, I see the place for crossbows. I see the place for uh, uh, regular bows and guns and handguns and muzzle loaders. And just from a hunting perspective, I guess I've mellowed out in the fact that I, I don't think I was ever against anything. But I, I was often, um, I was often, I, I don't know how to say this, like, maybe pigeonholed into one thing but when i when i work with all these people i understand that everybody has their own story and everybody approaches things a little bit differently as far as what how much it means to them mm-hmm. how often they're actually hunt and um you know um how they how they view this resource more than somebody who might be a just a geeky guy who does it 365 um, I, I really, I appreciate the guys who only hunt a weekend. I appreciate the, the gals who are 30 years old, who have never hunted before and they just want to go out and shoot anything or, or whatever. So to me, I, I guess, I guess the best way to say it is I've mellowed and I, I can see more sides to it. I don't get too caught up in, you know, managing for particular deer or anything like that anymore. I'll take what comes to me and I'll, I'll be happy with it. And I, I hope that shows in our TV shows and in the things that we put in the magazine, because one thing that I've always said is I've always wanted to be all things for all deer hunters. And I want, and that's what I wanted our brand to be. I, I don't want us to be the big buck source. I don't want us to be the, you know, the geeky science science source, even though we are that Um, I want us to be something that anybody can. And that's how I position myself. I want to be able to understand where everybody's coming from. You're a big tent hunter. All, all hunters welcome. You, yes. You've transitioned to that. And that's, it's been a, it, it's been an interesting evolution. Again, I'm in Indiana and I think across the country, we really saw that initial evolution in the early two thousands, you know, because especially newer hunters and hunters that maybe aren't as familiar with the history of hunting in the country probably don't realize how close the whitetail was not necessarily to extinction, but but to a really threatened level, you know, talking to my grandpa growing up in Northeast Indiana, which is, is probably one of the more underrated places in the country to, to find quality deer when, when they would be out rabbit hunting and cut a deer trail, that was 
like that got talked about at the coffee shop for a week yep. because yep. they just weren't around. And that's, I mean, that's just three generations ago that it was that, that unlikely to have seen a deer. So to see the evolution in the late nineties and the early two thousands, where you started to see deer populations get back to um, kind of that carrying capacity level and the, the, the focus turning to doe management and doe tags becoming available and, and the cascade effect that that had on crossbow technology and a state like Indiana making that legal and then following it up with, I know we'd been shotguns and muzzleloaders only for years and years and opening that up to straight walled rifle cartridges and now all rifle cartridges. And the, like you said, the initial, the word that came to my mind was reluctance to, well, we can't do that or we can't do that or, you know, and it's, it's always a sky is falling scenario. And then you get here five years later and you're still seeing deer. The quality of deer is still there and harvest numbers continue to be what they are. And I I don't think that it's accidental in that what we just talked about in terms of, of scout and manage coming along at the same time, because they're, they are healthier deer. I think largely than they were 20 years ago and 25 years oh. ago. And they're we're it's totally different ecosystems. It's a healthier ecosystem for the most part. So it's, you know, we've we've created opportunities for ourselves by properly managing this resource. But for those that remember the bad old days, you know, I, I can certainly understand where somebody would come in and say, you know, well, you know, it, what, because they might have seen in their lifetime where you didn't have deer numbers like that. So to open it up to something like crossbow or to open it up to a rifle season, you know, your, your, your immediate response is going to be, well, it wasn't that long ago. We didn't have deer and we're going to run ourselves right back there. So yeah, I, I, I remember that we, well, to, to add on to your point in 1900, there were 500,000 whitetails in North America. There's 32 million now. So, I mean, that that is a that's a conservation success story but i remember the 70s and that's not that long ago and then my dad remembers the 50s you know where there weren't like southern wisconsin was like what you said with indiana there were no deer down there and it's same thing like what you said i grew up rabbit hunting that was my first love because we didn't have deer and when you saw a deer and then then you started that we didn't know anything about them you know oh it it ran and it you know, it had its tail up. That month that met him was a buck. I mean, we didn't know what the heck we were talking about, mm-hmm. you know, but it's just like this, like seeing the Loch Ness Monster or something. It was, it was something that was so unique. Now it's like I had three of them in my front yard right before I started the call with you. So, I mean, it's uh, it's completely different. It's It's been, I'm happy to have largely grown up in, you know, I think what would probably be considered the golden age of whitetail hunting in the country. Um, so that's, that's great. And hopefully we still, we still have our better days ahead of us for sure. Um, and in that vein, we're going to get a little controversial for a minute. If you can, if you can, if you've got the stomach for it, everybody always wants to talk about where, what are the sleeper locations? And we'll, we'll get to that question, but what state or what area is just at this point, living on myth. What's what? It, what do you consider the most overrated state or area for whitetail hunting in the U.S. right now? Um, that's really boy. The guys are going to pull out the rotten tomatoes. On me. 
All press is good press, Dan. It's all good. It's all good. Okay, so I'm going to say this by couching it that I hunt these areas still today. But um, just from a pure myth standpoint or overrated standpoint, okay, so boy, I'm going to get some hate on this. (laughs) So I'm going to say, I have to preface it one more time. I'm going to preface this if you don't live and own land there. So if you land in any of these areas, this does not apply to you. This applies to somebody who's sitting back thinking like, man, if I could just go hunt X, Y, Z, I'm going to kill a big buck. Um, I'm going to give you, I'm going to rattle off as many as I can. Buffalo County, Wisconsin, uh, Pike County, Illinois, uh, the specific areas, and then the entire state of Kansas and the entire state of Iowa. And the reason I'm saying that is if you look at every one of those areas, and I think we'll agree that if I mention any of those areas to anybody, they're going to think, oh, man, that's where you got to go and kill a big buck. That's where you got to go to kill a big buck if you own land or you know somebody and you can really hunt it. I'm not saying that it's not possible to book a hunt and kill a big deer there, but um, I'll just go through those and give you examples. Buffalo County, Wisconsin, bluff country, absolutely gorgeous. The other side of the river in Minnesota is equally as gorgeous, has equally as nice deer. Extremely hard to get access. Um, there are outfitters, but you got to understand that's a business and they're running lots of guys through there. So if you find the right one, yeah, you can score, but not as easy as you think. Pike County, Illinois, overrun with hunters. That whole area, the Golden Triangle down there, some great opportunities. I've hunted down there. I've hunted in Brown County every year for the past 13 years. Uh, some great opportunities, but um, not as easy as you think. They do have some nice deer, but not easy. Kansas and Iowa are lumped together in the fact that I see this all the time. Oh, boy, you're really going to get me going on this one. I see this all the time. <laughs> and you see it too on social media. Uh-huh. Oh, man. If we could just manage deer like Iowa, or we could just manage deer like Kansas. Okay, so I went the other day, and you know me, I'm a baseball fanatic. I'm into statistics. Google the Iowa population. Google the Kansas population. Google the landmass of each one of those states, and there you have your answer. Uh Yes, they can grow big deer, but it's not some mythical uh, fairy land place where you just drop in there and you're going to kill a big deer no it's like anywhere else they grow some big deer there are some good opportunities there but i think um as a non-resident hunter it's it's quite oh, both of them are quite overrated and I, like i said they they all grow big deer and they all turn out big deer but all things being equal if you have good access somewhere you can probably do just as good Okay, let the tomatoes throwing start. <laughs> I, I appreciate you being a good spot. I would have I I would have had half of your list. I would have guessed Buffalo County, Wisconsin would have been would have, and just I probably have per capita, I probably have more friends in Wisconsin considering I've spent almost time, no time there. Uh, but that's a that's a fairly common refrain that there there's a lot of legacy and a lot of myth that comes along with Buffalo County and and Iowa, same thing. Um, Kansas surprised me a little bit. Pike County, not really, because that's kind of the same as Buffalo. I mean, it, it just it is what it is. But uh, a, a good list. And hopefully the hate mail isn't isn't too bad. <laughs> I 
Iowa is an interesting one specifically from Indiana because you'll hear one that I, a refrain that I heard a lot as I was kind of getting back into hunting and and throughout the hunting forums and, and the battle days of message boards and that kind of stuff was that you heard that all the time. If Indiana managed deer like Iowa does, we could grow bigger deer than them because we've got, we, we're Iowa with more cover. We're actually in better condition than Iowa because we've got more cover, just as much ag in the northern half of the state. We could grow monsters. And I'm I'm glad that we never really went that route. Indiana did transition from a two-buck rule to a one-buck rule. Our gun season is still three weekends and two full weeks. Our muzzleloader season is still three weekends and two full weeks. And archery season comes in the first week of October and goes out uh, the last or the first Sunday in January. And to boot, our gun season normally ends over Thanksgiving. Like we are gun hunting right down the, the gut of the rut. And you know what? I see more people killing 140, 150, 160 inch deer. Everyone has one on trail camera. It doesn't matter if they're hunting 10 acres or 150. Like the days of hanging out at the check station to see one good 10 point deer over the course of the opening weekend of, of gun season are long gone. And we didn't do anything differently than we were doing in 1988, except for add some doe tags and add weapons that were available. So it's, it's been, it's interesting to see and fun to see that it's in a lot of ways, I think it's just that rising tide lifts all ships. The, the, the education of the average deer hunter and the mindset of the average deer hunter has just improved. And, and in a situation like that, like you said, you, there's a lot of places you can go and find good deer, regardless of the state. It does. There's not some, you know, Kentucky's another one that, and maybe that'll come up in the next question. You know, they've they've got a super early gun season, a long gun season. They've got a velvet season, and yeah, it's a little bit tougher ground to access. But for all those people hollering about too many hunters in the field and too many days in the field with guns, and you're killing all the deer and You've still got thousands of hunters every year pouring into Kentucky from out of state because it's great hunting. I agree. The one thing I want to add to that, which a lot of people you brought, you kind of touched on it. Um, and I, I beat my head against the wall on this one. The, 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 the way you mentioned, I've heard this from just about every other state. If Wisconsin could just do this, we'd be more like Iowa. If Michigan can do, could do this, we'd be more like Iowa. If, Pennsylvania could, okay, I, I said, let me stop. And I always bring the numbers up. Wisconsin has 300% more hunters than Iowa. Pennsylvania has Michigan. They have 800,000 hunters and they're killing three to 400,000 deer. You go to Iowa. I wish I had my deer hunters almanac here in front of me. I'm at home, so I don't. But um, you go to Iowa, they kill 30,000 deer a year, I think. And there's only like 100,000 hunters. So it's like you that's apples and oranges. You cannot mm -hmm. you cannot make that argument. That would be like saying, like, if we did this, we could be more like New York City. No, you can't. You right. know, you're you're Madison, Wisconsin. You, you can't you cannot make that argument. And the other thing that you mentioned was the season structures don't mean diddly. They don't. I mean, look at Illinois. I mean, 
They, they've had that shotgun season all these years. People think that's what's saving the deer. No, it's not. You have three or four counties that are cranking out some awesome deer, but you go to Northern Illinois, it sucks, man. I mean, there's mm -hmm. nothing. It's, it's just the topography and the way that's those guys, those managers know what they're doing. You know, they still have to do a job. They still have to manage a population, but um, I do not buy that as far as like, Oh, well, you know, we have this youth season, go look at the numbers, pull them up. They killed 3000 deer or whatever it happens to be across an entire state. They're not decimating anything. They might decimate it. The one buck that you were hunting, um, and that's like one guy's, you know, one guy's example. And then they extrapolate that across an entire state. So mm -hmm. that's where I come from on that, that part. So breaking news, you're telling me Rockford, Illinois, not the hidden cradle of whitetail hunting in Illinois. No, no. <laughs> Rockford, Illinois. Sorry, guys. Well, actually, it is, and then they would throw them off the scent and uh -huh. everybody go. Perfect. <laughs> So we we riled everybody up about you know that they're where they want to go isn't the place to go. Now now let's piss off some more people and let's blow up their their hidden gems that they've been sitting on telling people not to come here. Where yeah. where where are those underrated spots? You just mentioned one and you're actually sitting in it right now. Um, Indiana is actually underrated. Indiana is an I have never hunted Indiana. I know a lot of guys who do hunt Indiana and it's like any other state, but if you get good at Indiana and Kentucky, I would view as the same um, as far as opportunities from what I see. Um, so I'll, I'll put both of the states there. I will put Northeast Wyoming there just for the, I love it. It's, it's now you're not killing one eighties, but it's as far as a deer hunters paradise, I don't know of anything better. Um, also Western, um, South Dakota is very good, uh, is a hidden gem. And then I'm just going off of like, um, opportunities, not so much big deer. I mean, it, big deer is subjective too, but opportunities and beauty, I would say East or not Eastern Western, <clears throat> excuse me, Western Idaho, um, I'm sorry, Western Oregon. Western Oregon is very, very good, uh, mostly for mule deer, but it's a great spot. And then uh, let me throw in, um, actually, you know, um, I can't give you that one. That's my secret spot. I can't give you that one. I'm going to hold on to that one. I'm holding on to that one. Uh, Missouri, but I don't even know if that's underrated because I think more people are are hunting there. But Missouri is a very very good state, um, both for opportunity and for uh, trophy potential. Uh, Missouri has been actually producing, and you know it gets famous with like the juries and and people like that that have land out there. But mm -hmm. I hunted I hunted Northeast Missouri probably twenty five years ago, and I was just stunned at the number of uh, acres of like crp and uh ac public access spots that you can hunt that were uh, pound for pound pretty much as good as anywhere else so it, you know and that pretty much puts us in the middle of the you know the heartland if you're talking about missouri and kentucky and indiana and ohio uh, ohio is I, I think a lot of people talk about it but it's another one of those states with limited access mm -hmm. really you tough. know that, uh, you find places that are just like 
I know guys that are killing them out of subdivisions and they're killing giants, you know, mm -hmm. um, so there, there's places like that. Um, the South has, South has some good hunting. I say, I say I'm, I was going to drop one in there and, and hopefully I'm not blowing up the one you're holding for yourself. But if, if you were going to have me put one in there, Georgia, I know if you tell me Georgia has okay. more and bigger deer than people think. I don't think people oh, think of Georgia as a as a big whitetail destination, but there are there are some legitimate monsters every year coming out of not not monsters by southern standards, just awesome whitetail by anyone's standards coming out of Georgia every year. Yeah, Georgia, and I'll actually tell you, my state was Florida. Um, there are, and the thing about it is it's about access. There are places in Florida that would just blow your mind mm -hmm. that people think, oh, such small. No, they don't. The same thing with Georgia. They've got big deer, but it's very limited. Um, it's not public land hunting. You know, it's, you gotta, you gotta get access, but I agree with you, Georgia. I think, um, as far as the Southern state is probably the best, it's probably the most underrated down there. Because most people think of it as just a numbers game, and it's not. Mm -hmm. um, as far as population, like, oh, they don't have that many deer. They have a lot of deer, and they have some really good bucks. I agree with you there. It's funny, you, you kind of meant when we were talking about the the evolution of hunters and and traveling and and all that kind of stuff. I, I was recently talking to to a writer that I know, and actually he does a fair bit of stuff for deer and deer hunting. I'm not going to out him, um, but we were talking about kind of what his plan was for the fall. And, and he said, you know what, I grew up shooting basket racks and being tickled about it. And I think that's what I'm going to do this year. I've, I've had some access changes. I've had some things change with the situation and I'm just, I'm done holding out for one fifties. I'm going to, yep. I'm going to buy some out of state tags and I'm going to go have a good hunt. And if a 90 inch buck walks by and my heart beats just right, I'm letting it fly. And yep. I think, I think that's probably when you talk about, when you talk to people that go out of state and I don't do it nearly as frequent as frequently as people think that a marketing manager in the outdoor industry does. Um, but I think where a lot of people make the mistake is, you know, you're going to Iowa, I'm holding out for a 180. This is my shot at a 180. Just statistically, that's still such a, you could, there are hunters that will live and die their entire life hunting hundreds of acres in Iowa and never lay eyes on a living 180. Don't, I don't care what hunt you're going on. You absolutely, unless you, unless that is literally your only purpose in life, if you just want to make donations to state wildlife agencies across this country and never fill a tag, good on you. That's fine. That's great. They'll use the money well. But to go into a hunt in any location with that, oh, I'm going to wait and shoot a 180. Good luck. percent the way, way the way I am, big or small, I shoot them all. That's my motto. And um, I've done it. I can bring you in the office and show you the hundreds of racks I have all over the place. But those are memories. And you you hit it right on the, the, the nail right in the head, Trent, in the fact that in, you know, I'm partly guilty for this because I'm in the media, but it's been that years and years and years of videos of people shooting bucks in these areas. And like I said, no offense to any of these guys are my friends, but you've got like, you know, 
the Lakoskis and the juries and Pat Reeve. And like I said, they're all my friends, but you don't understand how bad these guys want it and how much they've worked to, to build it. And to think like, Oh, they're in Iowa. They're doing it. Yeah, they are. But they've been managing that all year for years. Mm-hmm. And that's what they got. Like you said, if that's your thing and you want to do it, but I've been in camp with so many guys with that mentality. And then they look down at my nose, down at their nose when I come in with a hundred inch eight pointer and like, I'm happy as hell, you know? And, uh, and then they, they hunt all week and they don't kill one. They don't even see one. Nobody saw one because you were in that state, but you weren't hunting where they are. Well, they so just enjoy, I mean, my enjoy the hunt, you know, if it excites you, shoot it and own it and don't apologize for it. Don't say, Oh, this wasn't my biggest ever. Who cares? I don't care. Be happy with it. You know, that's and all that's important. We know a lot of the same people and we've had the conversations with them. And, and, you know, I, I consider myself incredibly lucky to work in this industry and know some of the people that I do. Um, and it, it is, it's difficult for the people that don't to be able to put it in the right context. But in my experience, having talked to some of those people that you mentioned and and others that haven't been, the vast majority of them will tell me, will tell you, will tell anybody that comes up and talks to them. If this was your full-time job and you were spending the hours in a stand that I am, you know what you'd probably do too? Kill a lot of big deer. And I think that's having hunted for a television show I have very little interest in doing it again. It is it is way different than what people think it is. And when you when you are somebody like the Drurys or the Brunsons or the Lacoste, you know, whoever you want to mention, Melissa Bachman, they're making their living doing this. So they don't go back to the lodge when their feet get cold or they get a little hungry and eat a Twinkie or some chili. They're spending 60. 80 hours in a tree stand a week and yeah it looks great it's a fantastic seven minute segment on a 23 minute video that they have to make 13 of every year but it didn't happen in seven minutes it probably didn't happen in seven days and it damn sure didn't happen in seven hours so for you to try to extrapolate that level of a success or those goals to you it's not going to happen. It, it just, it's not a realistic expectation, not to douse anybody's dreams, but that's just, that is not reality. You are not operating within reality if that's your expectation. Absolutely agree with you. Amen. So we're, we're going to try to wrap up here before too long. I do want to take your temperature on another thing. Like I said, we're going to be a little controversial. We've seen over the last year or so, um, there's always there have been always been some locations that had some restrictions as it came to trail cameras or cell cameras, and we're starting to see this list grow. Um, I've spoken on it a couple times. I, I probably will again here, but wanted to kind of get your impression of, um, you know, what do you think is at play here? What's what's the driving factor behind these? Do you think it's something that's going to continue to proliferate, or are we we kind of bumping up against a wall of of how far it can go? I'm I'm shocked and saddened that it's come this far, to be honest with you, because um, trail camera um, uh, restrictions to me is about as silly as these laws that we used to have on the books that you could not use lighted knocks. Mm-hmm. You know, now I know people, people are going to say, oh, Dan, those are two different things. No, they're not. And they're going to say, well, that's not fair, Chase. 
how, tell me how that's not fair. You know, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And you probably know the list of, uh, cause I was out in Wyoming. Oh, Wyoming. You, you can't use them. Uh, you can't use, um, uh, cell cameras in Wyoming now. And it's, it, it's ridiculous. You, you don't understand. Like the, the guy where I hunt Ralph Dampman, he's by devil's tower. Um, he has nine access, at least le between what he owns and what he leases, 90,000 acres of, you know, basically the far west edge of the Black Hills. It's just him, his son-in-law, and a couple guys that help him. And they, if they could, they would use cameras. Now, think about 90, I don't know how many, how many sections is that? Mm -hmm. You know, 90,000 acres, and they want to scout it um, to put hunters out there. And I just think, that, I mean, that's an example of being ridiculous, but, um, okay. So number one, I don't think those laws should be on the books. Number two, I don't think it's, it's against any estimation of fair chase. And thirdly, uh, my opinion on this is, and this isn't me spinning consp conspiracy theories, every little thing like this is something else that chips away at hunting to where now is one regulation like that going to make you give up and say i'm not going hunting no but after a while you have a regulation book this thick and my thoughts on this are the same as ted nugent's i think there should be uniform um game laws across america and that should be about a pamphlet that is folded in half these are the the, the times i can go hunting these are the dates i can go hunting i can run from you know 20 minutes before sunrise to 20 minutes after sunrise I can hunt September 1st to January 31st, whatever the dates are. Okay, the dates would be different for the states, but it's like, okay, you can use a compound bow, a rifle, whatever. I, I'm about simplicity. Mm -hmm. I think that if you're going along and you're nitpicking all these little things, you know, there's got to be a point. It's just like um, crossbows, you know, or, or, or let, no, let's go back one to say compound bows. Right. Well, when we first started shooting compound bows, Remember when we went to 50% let off? Oh my God, this is awesome. I'm only holding 40 pounds. I'm not holding 80, mm -hmm. you know, now 90% let off. Well, is that unfair? You know, I mean, and, and then some, they say, well, at some point there is, no, I don't, I still have to go out there, be sent free as possible, play the wind, you know, know where the deer are. I still have to do all my scouting. It's not like I'm running out there and killing a deer, you know, um, opening up my window and shooting a deer out of my house or something like that. It has nothing. It's nothing like that. So I, I do not like where this stuff is going. And I do think that it's just probably another uh, chip that they're putting on the table that's saying we're going to put enough chips out there. And I think hunters should not be complacent about this they should not say well i don't use cameras so it doesn't matter to me it does matter to you because it's a, you're a hunter if mm -hmm. you care about the the future of hunting for your kids you should care about all these things because that's what they do is they go after the ones that you the majority might not care about and then before you know it you have this whole new set of regulations what where like i said you need to spend a night in the lazy boy to figure out what i can and can't do and i i don't agree with it at all and I, I'm, I've, I've said this before, curious to get your feedback. I think we've seen it happen where it's happened to this point, largely because of exactly a, a different side of what you already said. We've seen it happen in places like Arizona and Utah 
And there are hunters in Arizona and Utah, but it's kind of the Iowa thing. There's 30,000 hunters in Iowa. They can get away with it because it's not largely Utah and Arizona that hunt Utah and Arizona. It's Virginia and Ohio and Michigan and Wisconsin. And they have their, those hunters in those home states have their own issues every year that by the time they find out what the, what the Utah rule is, and they happen to draw a tag that year, it's too late. It's already done. And they only care about it once every so often. I think it's a very different proposition to try to tell, like you said, 300,000 hunters in Wisconsin. Hey, by the way, can't use cell cameras or half a million hunters in Pennsylvania or Texas or, you know, wherever you may be. I think they've been able to chip around the edges. And I think just in general, we see that with a lot of kind of the draconian game laws that we're seeing pop up in the West because the vast majority of hunters that hunt the West are from the East. Yes, there are native hunters there, but those game agencies are able to get away with a lot because there's only a handful of people Great. Yeah, sure. 70% of the population hunts in Alaska. Well, that's because there's like 14 people that live in Alaska. So you don't, you don't have the numbers game that you've got somewhere like Ohio, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. Um, and I think, I think some nefarious forces are using that to their advantage and it's to take it a step further. I kind of have to like take off the, the spy point hat or feel like I have to, but, um, it's it's a it's the same as you brought up the lighted knocks and it's another one that's always frustrated me it's a fundamental lack of ignorance or refusal to understand the technology you know the mm-hmm. in Arizona they cited that one water hole that had a bunch of cameras around it and okay yeah that's a problem but if you really look at what cell cameras allow a hunter to do it's to keep you from having to go in there and scout It's to reduce your amount of intrusion on those animals. That's just with basic trail cams. You get to cell cams where you don't have to go in to pull SD cards. Now you're only in there every six, eight, 10, 12 weeks to service batteries. You could make an argument that nothing has done more to make deer feel more secure than being monitored by trail cameras instead of boot stomping around the ground every two, four, six weeks to go in and look around and see where are the tracks at and what are they feeding on and where's the browse? Like it's just an misunderstanding of how the technology can be deployed. You know, I've, I've gone round and round. There's a couple guys in the industry, you know, I've got a background in optics and I've gone round with them on, well, if, if you have to turn on the illumination in a reticle, it's too dark to be shooting anyway. A that's not how illuminated reticles work. And B CA it's it you just don't understand what it's doing and and for just because I'm on my soapbox so I'm going to go ahead and run it out for you illuminated reticles don't do anything to illuminate your target they provide contrast if you've ever gone black bear hunting in north woods anywhere and tried to see where a black reticle is on a black bear in a shaded area of a a big stand ever good luck but being able to turn that red or green that is an that is a positive ethical development that is a positive efficiency development that does good for the hunter and it does good for the animal by being able to make a better shot the lighted knocks allow you to see better 
where exactly do I want to go push that deer that I may be hitting the liver or do I saw it hit back? So I know I'm going to let it lay. I'm not going to push a bad situation with cell cams. I don't have to go in and disturb my animals every two weeks to put a plan together for season. I can do it from a distance and let those animals be more secure. Humans are hardwired to be lazy. Whitetails are hardwired to survive. The numbers are always in their favor. There are exponentially more deer that survive deer season in every state in this nation than will ever be killed. And far more big bucks die of old age than will ever be taken by hunters because of cell cans, lighted knocks, illuminated reticles, mapping apps, regardless. Now I'm done. Now I'm off my soapbox. Amen. And look at the numbers. Like I said before, look at the numbers. Is it increasing uh, harvest? No, it's not. It's it all boils down to jealousy among people. Uh, if, if on our side, mm-hmm. well, I can't do that, therefore you shouldn't be able to do that, or I can't afford that, therefore you shouldn't be allowed to do that. And on the other side, it's anti-hunters just trying to figure out another way to, you know, just make it uncomfortable, and people just say screw it and they don't want to go hunting anymore. You know, I mean that that's basically to me that's what it boils. Down. Uh, honestly, my biggest issue with it, and to not to get too political, but it's going to have to a little bit. My biggest issue is the the lane. Like, it's one thing if you want to ban it on public ground. You know what? It's the state's ground. The state wants to pass that legislation. Whether I agree with it or not, it's not my land. But to tell private landowners or private landowner lessees that they can't use something like a trail camera on their property, I have more issue with the property rights element of, of this whole thing than, than anything else. It's, it's bad enough that, you know, especially when you get West, you can't collect rainwater. You can't do either the laundry list of things that the state tells you that you can't do to then tell you, Oh, by the way, you own this land and you pay taxes on owning this property, but Nah, I don't care if you want to use it recreationally. We will dictate to you the terms by which you can properly recreate on your own land. Nope. File nope. that under kiss my backside. That's where <laughs> that lands with me. Yep, I agree with you there. Do you think we do you think we angered enough people one way, the, the pro- other, all the way? Or did we did we get sufficiently controversial with our episode, Dan? I think we got some people riled up. <laughs> They're awake. Um, we can do it again if you like. <laughs> so we'll we'll wrap up here. You you've already been to Wyoming. I know that's an early trip for you every year uh, around this time. Uh, what else do you have on your docket for this fall? Where else are you going? I will be hunting here at home in Wisconsin, um, both archery and firearms. I will be hunting firearms in. Nebraska and Kansas. Remember what I said about Kansas. Uh-huh. So please save one from there, guys. <laughs> I wasn't referring. <laughs> and possibly Oklahoma. So I, I hopefully get another, um, a little bit of taste of a good portion of deer country this fall. Fantastic. And where can people find you? Where can people find? I know, obviously, Media Three Hundred and Sixty. 
uh, with deer and deer hunting. That's, that's not just a name. You've got the television shows, you've got the podcasts, you've got social, you've got the magazines, you've got the website. It is a 360 degree approach to everything deer and deer hunting. So where, where can, and should people go to find all of the latest from deer and deer hunting? Find us on the website, deerandeerhunting.com, spelled out. Pursuit Channel, Saturday night, Deer Camp. We have a two-hour block of programming every Saturday night on Pursuit Channel. Wild TV, if you're in Canada, the uh, programs air there. And then everywhere else, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube is uh, YouTube backslash DDH online. We have over 3,000 videos and TV shows up there on YouTube. Uh, you can actually watch all of our TV shows on YouTube if you want. And then the podcast is really gaining any place you can download the podcast. Um, iTunes, where I don't know, there's like 14 different platforms. Deer mm -hmm. Talk Now is the name of the podcast every week. So uh, we are pretty geeky. And we do have the Trapper uh, magazine. Uh, if you're into trapping or if you just want to learn how to trap or take out predators, uh, just go to deerandeerhunting.com. We also have the link to the Trapper's website there. And a ton of other stuff that I can't even, I, we'd spend the rest 20 minutes here, but we, we do a little bit of everything. Ice fishing, if you're into that, we have a magazine for that and a whole bunch of other cool stuff. But it's Media 360 um, under deer and deer hunting. Dan, as always, a pleasure. We, we don't get a chance to do it nearly often enough, but it's always always fun to talk. Appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Again, invite everybody to go and uh, like, uh, subscribe, comment, wherever it is that you're uh, consuming podcasts and catch us on the next episode. Thanks, everybody. All right. And thank you very much.